Back in the saddle again, Trent. Look, I don't know if that number up there in the corner is uh, is updated, but I see zero. What well, we got? We got one viewer in the house, so we know <laughs> hey, we got somebody here. We know it's not going to be a total waste. Uh, we took a week off. We took a week off. I went on vacation. Trent, what did you do over the last couple weeks? Uh, I know you're a bowling guy. A lot of people out there might not know. Trent is like. You're damn near a professional bowler. You sent me like a screenshot of a perfect 300 game that you bowled uh, recently. And I was like, damn, that's incredible. I'm like, was that the first time that's ever happened? And Trent was like, no, I've done it like 30, 40 times. I can't remember what the number 36, was. man. 36. 36 perfect games under your belt. So, Trent, I would imagine you spent some of this time bowling. What's been going on in your world the last couple yeah, of Yeah. So, I, uh, well, my, as you know, nobody else knows, but my parents own the local bowling alley here in town. So, I spent a lot of time there and, I bowl twice a week in a league, and Look then we're sitting on sitting on the couch doing some articles, you know. <laughs> carrying carrying wingedhelmetmedia.com. Very much appreciative for, for Trent's work over the last uh, week or so. I don't know if I mentioned it during the last show, but uh, the family and I, we took a little vacation. It was supposed to be... You know, look, I, I think I remember saying it on the show, like, I'm going to go to relax. I need to unplug. I need to unwind. I just need to recharge my battery a little bit. So we went down to Orlando and I made like the greatest mistake of my life, I think, which was booking a vacation, a relaxing vacation to Disney and Universal Studios. So two days at one park, two days at the other park. And Trent, I was I was talking to you a little bit about this uh, before we went live, but just a, just a terrible experience, just an awful experience. And and I mentioned this before, like, you know, we I, it's not my first time at Disney. Like I, we took our son there uh, when he turned two. Our daughter's been there once before, but we wanted to go back because the last time we were there, it was COVID and a lot of things were different. But man, like when your kids are at a certain age, like for anybody who's been to Disney, there's nothing relaxing about it. Like you are essentially an event planner if you are the one that's in charge of the show. Like you got to purchase the lightning lane passes and then you've got to book each ride that you want to go on at a certain time during the day. But you, every time you book a ride, you got to wait two hours before you book another ride. And then you got to use your map to get around from, from you know park to park to figure out where you got to be at what time. Trent, I came back feeling like shit, feeling like worse off than before I left uh, to the point where like, I don't know, man, we're already looking for like another type of vacation where it really just is like a just go and sit and relax thing. You, you spend all day walking around the park. You spend an hour waiting in line to do something that takes 30 seconds. And then you just do that for like 12 hours during the day. And then you wake up and do it all over again. Uh, not necessarily if, if you're looking for something relaxing to do with your family, I would not suggest Disney. I would not suggest universal for the love of God. Please do. So. My wife is on here. She, she knows all too well. How I never, I've never been to Disney, but that's something I wanted to do eventually. And you're kind of scaring uh, me a little bit. Well, listen, I like, like I said, when they're young and like, you can just, you know, if it's your first time you can go and just look at shit and be excited and just be happy to be there. That's a different thing. But when it comes to like, oh, we got to ride some rides or we got to book, you know, we got to go uh, eat at this restaurant or do this. Like once you're in that park, like you, it's just, dude, it, it <laughs> it's an awful experience. That's all I'm going to say. I'm glad that we're back. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to having an actual vacation here in the near future. But we're going to move on from that, Trent, because we're back, like I said, back in the saddle. Before we get into the show and cover some of the topics I wanted to go over, just a, a couple of dates that I saw pop out on social media today. Um, 
for those curious, the start of spring practice for Michigan football is going to be March 18th. Uh, and then Michigan's going to hold its pro day on campus March 22nd. And then, of course, the spring day or the spring game is going to be April 20th, 420. Hey, hey. Uh, you know, Trent, you get down like that. Uh, <laughs> 4, 420 at the big house, free to the public. And I know over the last, uh, at least the last couple of years, they've done some NIL things that allow fans to uh, to be able to, you know, to meet some of the players, get some autographs. So that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, Trent, do you, do you plan on going to the spring game this year? I know it's quite a hike from you up from uh, Ohio. Yeah, I've been there the last three years, so definitely nice. planning on going Does again. Does the family yeah. come up too? Do you make it like a family sort of event because it's free or do you travel solo? No, but something I know my wife would like to go to. So definitely a possibility this year, taking her up to it. And, yeah. And uh, enjoying it, you know? Yeah, I mean, with, with the way ticket prices are, you know, if you can, anytime you can get into the big house and watch the Wolverines play for free, like we, we did that with our kids when, when they were young. And it's usually a good way to get the whole family in without breaking the bank. So again, that's going to be on April 20th. Uh, for those of you keeping track on, on those things, we're going to shift over to Sharon Moore and the staff. And the last time you and I were on Trent a couple weeks ago, it, it seemed like his staff was pretty much solidified. We were really excited about some of the pieces in place. One of which was uh, Steve Klinkscale, who had reportedly in informed the team that he was returning. And then that turned out not to be true. And then a lot of things happened over the last couple of weeks, a lot of, a lot of moving pieces. I'm just going to go through this uh, offensively and defensively, name the guys who are currently in place, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So offensively, things largely look the same for Sharon Moore. He's got uh, Kurt Campbell now moving over to the offensive coordinator position. He's still going to be coaching the quarterback, same position position that he held last year. Ron Bellamy still going to be with the wide receivers. Mike Hart, that's one that I think is still a bit of a question mark. I know that at least he's he's still presumed to be part of the staff, but from my understanding, he hasn't been on the recruiting trail. He's dealing with some personal things here, so hopefully there's going to be some resolution on that in the near future, but still have Mike Hart listed as running backs coach for now. Um, and then you've got the new face, relatively new face, Steve Kasula uh, coaching the tight ends. He was actually an offensive analyst uh, for, for Jim Harbaugh from 2019 to 2021. Then he joined Don Brown, former defensive coordinator at Michigan, joined Don Brown out at UMass, was the offensive coordinator there. Now he's back in Ann Arbor coaching the tight ends uh, at Michigan. And then defensively, that's where it's it's essentially an entirely new staff that Sharon Morris had to assemble. Credit to him for the guys he's been able to bring in. You got Wink Martindale at defensive coordinator from the Giants. Uh, Greg Scruggs from Wisconsin, who's considered a you know an up-and-coming coach. Uh, you got Brian Jean Mary from Tennessee, who was with the University of Michigan back in 2020, coaching the linebackers. Uh, and then defensive backs coach uh, Lamar Morgan, who came highly recommended uh, from Jesse Minner, their time working together out at Vanderbilt. But again, that defensive backs coach position, that that was a little bit of a wild ride there with Steve Klinkscale saying he's coming back. Then he left. And then it was Steven Adagoki, who apparently had agreed uh, to to a deal that was in place and then backed out and, and decided to stay with Houston. Um, and then finally, at the special teams uh, coaching position, you got J.B. Brown. So when I list off all those names, when you think about everything that Sharon Morris had to sort of put in place over the last couple of weeks, what, what are your thoughts on this new look coaching staff? Yeah, it's kind of exciting. Uh, like like you said earlier, the defensive side of the ball is it's brand new. I mean, other than uh, unless you count special teams, JB Brown, he was he was here last year, but yeah, it's it's a brand new staff and kind of like what I I said a couple of weeks ago. I don't think that 
when you hire a defensive coordinator that they have to be a excellent recruiter like wink wink martindale he's coming in he's going to run basically the same scheme that michigan's running now and as long as he can take care of the defense schematically i feel like shrone Moore hired assistants around him that can be really good recruiters like uh greg scruggs he was looking at some of the wisconsin boards he was becoming a really solid recruiter for them, bringing in defensive linemen. Uh, Gene Mary, he has an excellent track record. I was looking on 24-7, some of the recruits he was bringing in. Man, in Texas, he was bringing in, he brought in a couple five stars. He was bringing in some four stars there. He was a recruiting coordinator at Texas. And then even at Tennessee, he was bringing in some solid defensive prospects. And uh, Lamar Morgan, he's, he's a much younger, but He's one of those guys where he was he was literally a defensive coordinator. So he's got some experience there and and he's he's young and can re- relate to the kids where I think that that'll help out recruiting as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and again, we'll we'll see how it all plays out on the recruiting trail. We'll see what happens during the season, but all things considered, I think Sheryl Moore did a hell of a job in filling all of these positions, and he did it with a lot of guys who are familiar with the Michigan football program, guys who have a good track record, who, who've been established in their positions in other places. And when you consider what Sheryl Moore had to deal with from, you know, all the turnover from guys leaving, you know, to, to go join Jim Harbaugh, and even like he thought he was going to have some guys back, he thought he was going to have a lot of guys back that he didn't have back. So, you know, those plans were falling through and he was having to sort of fix some things on the back end. I think all things considered, I give Sharon Moore a ton of credit for the staff he put in place. And, and, and to reiterate what you said, these are all guys who have a proven track record at other places doing other things. Um, and I think it's a solid staff in place. And I'm excited to see you know what this looks like, because I think defensively, I don't think we're going to see too much of a variation from what we were used to under Mike McDonald and under Jesse Minner. I think, you know, Wink Martindale comes from the same, you know, he's part of that tree. So I think a lot of what we see defensively is going to be the same. And then offensively, you've still got Kurt Campbell and Sharon Moore running the show as the head coach. And so I think largely, even though the pieces on the field are going to be different. Michigan losing 18 guys to the draft. I think the way that this offense operates, the way that the defense operates is going to look largely the same. I'm really excited to see how that plays out. Now, a big part of that is going to be the guys on the roster and Michigan is returning a lot of top talent. Um, But we did get news recently that Keon Sab had, had entered the transfer portal. And this was a bit of a surprise to me because I felt like, I know that I know that Michigan is returning a lot of guys, a lot of veterans in the secondary, but I felt like Keon Sab was a guy who was going to have a prominent role in, in the secondary this upcoming season. I mean, he he was getting better as the season was going on in 2023, and then he had a, he had a phenomenal game in the national championship, and he just he seemed like a guy who was ready to come into his own. Instead, he enters the transfer portal. He's now gonna he's gonna be with Alabama. I think it was an NIL collective for Alabama that actually yeah. announced that he had committed, which is interesting in and of itself. But I th- I think that that maybe that's the question. Maybe that's how I'll pose the question to you. Do you think that? NIL was a driving factor for Keon Sab, or do you gen- generally not think that he felt like there was a place for him on this defense where he would play a meaningful role? I heard a couple of different things. Like one, one thing I heard was he wants to get to the NFL as soon as possible. And that he felt that being a star potentially on the Alabama defense could lead him there, but I'm not buying that because he, he played a significant role last year as a sophomore 
And yeah, you bring Rod Moore back, Macari Page, but they were going to make room for him. I'm confident in that. I mean, the nickelback is open. You could either slide him there, slide Rod Moore there, whatever, whatever you want to do. Like you could have made, you could have made a role for Keon Sab to, to ha- make a big impact on Michigan's defense. So absolutely, I think tampering NIL was a huge driving force there for Alabama. I mean, he entered the portal, and then like four hours later, it came out was saying Alabama was in the driver's seat. Like there, there's nothing fishy about that. And then, yeah, th- when it's announced, it's the NIL collectives making the announcement. Like, come on. Yeah. I don't know, man. It, it, you know, it feels a little bit strange. I mean, I, I think when Michigan was having a lot of turnover at coaching positions, like, you know, I, I understood why some guys might want to take a look elsewhere, but when it came to Keon Sab specifically, like I said, I, I felt like he was a guy who was, you know, primed to have a prominent role in the Michigan defense and, you know, say what you want about wanting to have a starting role and get to the NFL as soon as possible. I feel like Michigan's a pretty good place to do that, especially when you look at what they've been able to do defensively, the guys that they're sending to the league, where the defense is typically ranked year after year. I mean, you're talking about a perennial top five defensive unit year after year. Um, and, and, you know, obviously, yeah, you bring back Makari page, you bring back Rod Moore, but you're, you're losing Mike Sainer still. And so there, there are some opportunities for a guy like Sab to, to find his footing there. I was a little bit surprised by that. And, and yeah, I guess when I'm thinking about it, like, it seems like it, it would have been hard for me to fathom that he wouldn't have found playing time. So it's, it's weird to me that NIL would have been a big driving factor and that he didn't see himself, you know, as part of the Michigan defense moving forward. But look, people have their reasons that, you know, they're, we know all too well after, you know, this, this early off season, people are going to do what's best for their own interest. At the end of the day, it is a business. And what you're trying to do is put yourself in the best spot to succeed at, you know, the next level or wherever it is you're going to end up. And so can't fault him for that. On the other side, when it comes to roster news, a guy who's returning that we thought there was no chance he was going to return Jack Tuttle is coming back for a seventh year. And there was some, there was a little bit of mixed reaction I saw on social media, you know, with, with that announcement, because there are, there are some people out there who are not a fan of college athletes being able to play collegiate sports for seven years. Like I get that, but in terms of what it means for Michigan specifically, when you look at the other options, whether it be Alex Orgy, Jaden Denigal, J- you know, Jaden Davis, uh, Davis Warren, when you look at all those guys, there is essentially zero experience, in-game experience. Like Alex Orgy's got experience coming in and running a read option, but let's be honest, it's not much of a read option. When Alex Orgy comes in, he's pulling the ball and he's running it. Um, you know, Jaden Denigal, one pass. He's thrown one, one career, pass. One career pass. I think Jaden Denigal's thrown maybe four career passes. Uh, not much more for Davis Warren. And then you've got Jaden Davis as a true freshman. And so adding Jack Tuttle into the mix, a guy who's got, you know, seven years of experience, a guy who's got, you know, more completions, more attempts, more yardage, more touchdowns, you know, than all of those other guys combined. I see that as a good thing. When when you got word, when you heard that that Tuttle was coming back, what were your initial thoughts? Well, I was actually shocked because I thought if he was going to get granted that seventh year waiver, it would have happened a while ago. And it seems like it took it seemed like it took forever for it to actually get announced. But yeah. I, I mean, I don't know that he's going to start. I, I I feel like they're going to start the most talented quarterback. Obviously, when you talk about experience, Tuttle has way more experience than anybody. 
Uh, I mean, worst case, worst case scenario, I know coaches have already been talking about him becoming a coach later on in his, in his after football. So, I mean, worst case scenario, you've got another quarterback coach on your roster, you know, the, uh, somebody that can help the young guys of Alex Orgy or Denigal or Jaden Davis, whoever starts, he can definitely help them out with their maturity and, and what they need to do. But I definitely don't see it as a bad thing whatsoever. I like, like you said, I know some people don't like that whole seventh year thing, but it, listen, if a kid's in college for seven years, it's probably because he hasn't done a whole lot. I mean, that's kind of where Jack Tuttle is. He, he was with Indiana for four seasons, but it's not like he really played a ton. I mean, he had stats and he did play a little bit, but he wasn't like a full-time starter or anything like that. But I definitely, I see it as a good thing for Michigan that they have that experience coming into the, to the room. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and Bobby uh, from the Facebook page, that's essentially where I'm at. He says Tuttle gives us the ability to take a chance on Orgy or Davis or um, um, Denigal. You know, I, I think a lot of people are sleeping on Denigal. It's, you know, Kurt Campbell's talked very highly about him. You know, he, again, had that Ben Roethlisberger comparison. Um, but, you know, he's got the he's got the big frame. He's got a big arm. He's a guy that I think. A lot of people aren't expecting to play a factor in this race, but I do think Jane Denigal is going to be somebody to keep your eye on through the spring and then into the fall. I think he's going to be a major factor. But yeah, I, I agree with what Bobby said. And, and to me, I don't see Jack Tuttle as, as a day one starter. I think having Tuttle back gives Michigan the luxury of being able to explore and play these guys who they've recruited that have been in the program now, you know, for two or three years and see what they're able to do on the field. And and quite frankly, guys that have a much higher ceiling than Jack Tuttle, and that's not a knock against Jack Tuttle, but you're right. You know, he's, he's played college football for seven years and he hasn't really been the guy anytime he's been there, but he's, he is a, an important part of a quarterback room, particularly when that room is extremely young and extremely inexperienced. And I agree with you, Trent. I think that's where Tuttle and his return, that's where he's really going to serve probably the biggest role as, as the quarterback's coach on the field. And then in the event that things don't work out quite the way you hope with an Alex Orgy or a Jaden Denigal or even a Jaden Davis, you have the luxury of being able to rely on a seventh-year guy who can come in and run your offense. And you know at least the experience is there. He's not going to be real. He's going to be a guy that's serviceable that can carry Michigan. I mean, what are the odds? Would you say Jack Tuttle is the day one starter in 2024? I don't think that it's extremely high, but if he goes out there and shows the mo the biggest promise out of the four or five quarterbacks, then I mean, I, I would guess that Sharon Moore is going to start him. Whoever, whoever gives them the best chance week one, I think is going to start. And if that's Jack Tuttle, it's, it's Jack Tuttle, but, and this is no knock on Jack Tuttle because I actually think in the limited time we saw him this past year, he looked halfway decent. He looked pretty good. He actually could run the ball and, yeah. and, and all that. But I feel like if you're starting Jack Tuttle for a full season, you're probably not going to win the big 10. You're probably not going to make the playoff. I don't think he gives you a high enough ceiling. Yeah, that's where I, and, and I do remember the spring game last year. I remember because I was down on the field and I was shooting, taking photos. And I remember that that was one of the things that stood out to me about Jack Tuttle the most was that the command that he had over the huddle and the presence that he had on the field. Like you could tell he was a guy with experience. You could tell, and I get it, it was a spring game. There wasn't 110,000 plus in the stands, but he looked like a guy who was just confident um, in, in what his role is. But yeah, I just, I don't, I think it's, uh, this might be too strong of a, 
of a way to put it, but I think it's a bad sign if Jack Tuttle is your day one starter because that means that four other guys that you've recruited and brought in to develop in your system simply aren't ready, you know, that are now going in, you know, some of the guys going into their junior year. And I would think that at this point they should be ready. And then when you look at the tools of like an Alex Orgy, who's, you know, presumably a guy who can throw the ball really well, although we haven't seen it in game, we know he's a capable runner. We know he presents a problem there. I like the idea of a dynamic uh, athlete at the quarterback position. And I think we saw a lot of the benefits of that with JJ McCarthy. When you have a guy who is a true dual threat, who can, you know, not only has the accuracy, but can get out of the pocket and create and make things happen. And I just sort of get that gut feeling, that sense with Alex Orgy, that he's that type of guy. And then when you, when you pair that with a Donovan Edwards also in the backfield and you've got guys like, uh, you got guys like Morgan and Tyler Morris at the wide receiver. I mean, you have some athletes out there where this offense can be a problem. Now, I know we've got a lot of question marks on the offensive line because essentially those are all new guys that are going to be starting up front. So I get that there's you know, going to be some sort of wait and see there. But in terms of the athletes that Michigan has at the skill positions and then uh, – I just I think this offense has the potential to be one of the best offenses in the Big Ten, but I don't see that being the case if Jack Tuttle is behind center. And I know that that sounds like a shitty thing to say, but to me, he is sort of that guy who is game manager, come in, don't make too many mistakes, and you know help the offense do its thing. But I don't see playmaker coming from Jack Tuttle. Do you think that's a fair assessment? I yeah, I fully agree with you. And let's be honest, if Jack Tuttle does start. You're going to see one or two of those quarterbacks probably transfer out in the spring. No doubt about it. Like if if Shrone Moore goes and says, "Hey, Jack, you're going to be our star- starter game one," Denigal Orgy, you're going to see at least one of the one of those guys transfer. I mean that, that this is going to be year three in the system, and if they're not ready now or their their time isn't right now, then they're like, "When is my time going to happen?" Correct. Like if, if seventh year Jack Tuttle beats me out, then I'm probably going to go somewhere else and start, you know, or try to start. Right. And and I think that's part of the reason why that's that's a bad sign, because exactly to your point, if, if Tuttle ends up being the guy, there's no way you're going to hang on to all four of those quarterbacks. And, you know, how big of a loss is it anyway, if, if they aren't able to secure the starting position over Jack Tuttle? I don't know, but. To me, Tuttle gives them that safety net to where it's like, let's roll with Alex Orgy and let's see what he can do as the guy. Let's roll with, um, let's roll with Jaden Davis as a true freshman. You know, let's see what he can do. Roll with some of these other guys who have a higher ceiling, and then if you need to fall back on a Jack Tuttle, you can do that. And look, you don't want to lose football games, but let's be honest, and and this is probably a good way to transition into the the new world of college football and the expanded playoff is that you don't want to lose a regular season game, but under the new format, I mean, you can, you can lose a regular season game and you can still get yourself into the playoff. And so I say that to say, if you roll with a guy like, like Alex orgy and it doesn't end up working out or you end up dropping a game or whatever the case is, it's not the end of the world, but I think you got to give these guys who have been a part of the program with a higher ceiling who present some other things athletically. I think you got to give them an opportunity. I think it's a mistake if you don't, to me, Jack Tuttle is a safe option, and he's the option you go with if the other you know, top options don't work out. Jack Tuttle is an excellent backup quarterback. Like if you go with if you go with Alex Orgy to start, which I think most of most Michigan fans think that's probably going to happen week one. But you know, you start Orgy, you start Denigal, you start Jaden Davis, they're not playing well. You bring in that experienced quarterback. 
Like yeah. Jack Tuttle, I think is an excellent, excellent backup quarterback, but I don't think he has the high enough ceiling to go in and lead Michigan to the promised land. Yeah. And CJ, I do, I do see orgy or Denigal, uh, being able to be multi-year starters at the university of Michigan. I think both of those guys, they have the talent and the athleticism to do it. The question is whether or not they can do it in game. And I think if you're Sharon Moore, um, again, the, the return of Jack Tuttle gives you the luxury of like, I can send these guys out. I know that they've got the athleticism. I know that they've got the talent. Let's see what they can do. And if it doesn't pan out the way I think it, you know, it should, or, or the way that we all hope, then you can lean on a guy like Jack Tuttle. I just, that's how I view his role on this team. I know a lot of people are like seven year guy. He's got a ton of experience. Let's roll with him. But to me, the cost of rolling with a guy like that is you're going to lose some of these other guys to the portal. And some guys are just gamers, man. Some guys just, you know, when the lights come on and there's 110,000 in the big house, they turn it on and they're able to play. And that was the thing about, you know, Alex Orgy is we got to see him run the ball a lot, but for some odd reason, like they never let the dude throw a pass ever. And I, I for the life of me, can't understand why. Uh, hopefully we get to see quite a bit of that in, in 2024. So that's where I stand on the quarterback position overall. Yes. I think Jack Tuttle's return is tremendous for a quarterback room that has a ton of inexperience, but I think a ton of potential. And I think he can really help develop these guys on the field and get them to where they need to be and serve as that quarterback's coach, uh, in the room. But you know, we'll, we'll speaking of what I said before, like you can afford to lose a game under the new playoff format, like the college football playoff committee released uh, what the official format is going to be for the 12 team playoff. Uh, it is a five, seven format. And so if I get this incorrect, let me know, feel free to correct me. But my understanding is they're going to take the five highest rated conference champions. And then the committee is going to select the next seven highest ranked teams to be part of the 12 team playoff. Now already, already we're hearing word of expansion to possibly 14, maybe even 64, 64 teams. That's where we're going to guys. 64 team field that, you know, over the course of three months, we're going to play this out. Uh, you know, let, I guess that's where we'll start. Let me ask you based on what you've seen from the expansion and, and how this 12 team format is going to work out. I think there's a lot to be excited about, but there's also some, some things I'm a little bit concerned about. Where do you stand overall on the playoff expansion? Well, like I've said before, I I love college football. So the more college football games you get, especially if they're highly ranked matchups, I like. However, I while I like the 12-team format, I think eight is a perfect number. I think if you have one, eight, two, seven, so on and so forth, I think that's like the perfect format. I thought four, four to me, four was better than the BCS, but I thought four was too little. But if we're going 12, 14, 16, 24, whatever they come up with, I think we're, we're talking way too much. You're talking about the regular se season being basically meaningless for half these teams. Yeah. And I think that's where I'm at too. And I don't want to sound like one of these old heads and I agree with CJ and I agree with Bobby. Like the best thing about it is it kind of screws over Notre Dame because no matter how good they are, they're not going to be a top five seed. So they're not, they're never going to get a first round by until they join a conference. And so I think that that's a, it's a nice little slap in the face to the Irish because they've been, you know, thumbing their nose at joining a conference for so long that it's nice to see college football evolving and, and basically forcing a program like Notre Dame to either join or have to pay the consequences of it. But I, I agree with, with what you said there at the end um, in terms of 
the impact it has on the regular season. And I know this is like an old head type thing. Maybe, you know, maybe there's a certain generation that this doesn't resonate with. But to me, one of the things that makes made college football so great was that every Saturday felt like a playoff game. Even if your non-conference opponent, you know, Michigan got a lot of shit because they didn't schedule tough non-conference opponents. I get it. But you could not afford to lose on a Saturday. Every single Saturday, week one through week 12, you had to win to have a shot at competing for college football's biggest prize. That final game in November, the game against Michigan and Ohio State, for all the marbles, for a chance to the conference championship game, a chance to play in the playoff, like to me, this expanded playoff, and if we continue to expand it from 12 to 14 to even 16 is, is what I'm hearing now, the regular season is being watered down. And I don't want to say to the point where it's like meaningless, but think about it. Like if it's a, if it's even now with a 12 team field and you've got no divisions, the winner of the Michigan Ohio state game, if they both go in undefeated, the loser of that game is probably still making the playoffs. They're guaranteed to make it. If you have one loss, you're going to make the there you go. So, so one. So two undefeated, same scenario as what we've seen the last two years with these teams, right? If you go in with a loss, or, or you come out of that game with a loss, you're still going to end up making the college football playoff, and you're still going to have a chance to to play for a national championship. Now, a first-round bye is going to be out of the question and things like that. You're not going to be able to play for a conference championship. But, I mean, do you get that sense that it really does take away from, like, it's hard, it's hard to imagine a scenario where, like, Michigan-Ohio State at the end of November doesn't really mean that much. But, I mean, is that a realistic thing to say that that the, the that's kind of where we're headed, where these big time rivalry games at the end of the year just don't matter as much. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, Michigan, Ohio State could play each other three times in a season now. You you play the last game in the regular season, you can meet up the next week at the Big Ten and then play each other again in the playoff. And if that would happen, let's just say they play twice in a row. Let's say Michigan beats Ohio State in the regular season and then Ohio State Ohio State beats Michigan in the Big Ten championship. That regular season matchup me- basically means nothing. Yeah. You know, that's how people would look at it. Like Ohio State just, they won the conference championship over Michigan. And that's basically what it would be about. So, yeah, I mean, again, I, I love college football, but we're getting into a dangerous territory, I feel like, of over expanding it and making the regular season not mean as much. Yeah. And I mean, if you look, if you look back at that 2022 season when Ohio State was still able to make, uh, the college football playoff after losing to Michigan, I remember being in Arizona and watching that game. And if let's be honest, if Ohio state makes that field goal and beats Georgia, they're, they're beating TCU and they're winning the national championship. How good do you feel as, as a Michigan fan, if you've won the big 10 championship, you beat Ohio state that year, but you watch the Buckeyes win the national championship. Like does, does, do those two wins outweigh watching the Buckeyes win a national championship? I don't think so. Not I mean, to not to Ohio State or not to probably the national analysts. Like they literally just won the Natty. Like yeah. So so yeah, I agree. I feel like I don't know, man. I, I asked you this earlier, and I remember you said like I was feeling very philosophical about uh, college athletics. I'm like, damn, the transfer portal and NIL and college football playoff expansion and all of this stuff, and it just kind of feels like. I don't know, man. It feels like uh, a lot of what makes college football so special is slowly kind of going away. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got 
college athletes showing up to Lamborghini dealerships and making purchases and, you know, people being, being able to buy athletes out of the portal and, you know, guys maybe having four or five different colleges that they play at in their collegiate career, guys who are able to come back and play for a seventh year, um, you know, multiple playoff games to the point where the rivalry games at the end of the season don't have the impact that they used to. I just, I'm going to ask you this anyway. I know you said you didn't want to get philosophical, but I'm going to ask you like, do you think we've sort of uh, squeezed too much out of the toothpaste tube to where it's like there, there's so much happening that it, it's never going to be quite what what it was? I mean, do you do you think – I'm trying to find a good way to ask this question. Like it just feels like college, college athletics is different, and I don't know that it's ever going to be back to what it was. Do you think that's the case? Do you think we are on a path now where it's just try to manage – manage what it is better. I mean, are we ever going to get that college football that, you know, where every game is meaningful type feeling back? Or do you think those days are gone? No, I mean, this is the new era of college football. Like anything, anything that you, you were used to before, man, it's, you better hop on board because it's not going back. I mean, you're paying these players money. Now you're giving them cars. You're not going to take that away. I mean, the best case scenario is the NCAA goes away and there there's a new, entity that forms but even then they're going to they're going to give these players what what they're giving them now and i mean i don't know what the answer is but yeah you got the transfer portal you got nil taken it's just taking away what college football was yeah like every week you have these college kids going out there and competing and just for the passion of the game and trying trying to get to the nfl but nowadays it's all about money it's about hey this school's offering me X amount of dollars where I can only get it here. And so I'm going to go play for them. And, and then I'm going to go to the, to the league. It's, it, it is what it is. It's the new era. And I don't think it's ever going to, we're never going to see what it was before. I mean, do you, do you, are you embracing this new era? I mean, do you, do you like the way that things are now? Or do you think there needs to be like, we got to rein this in somehow. Like I, I was reading an article, uh, ESPN, um, Nick Saban had sat down and, and did an interview and, you know, think what you want about Nick Saban and buying players and having a bag man and all of that stuff. I don't think his hands are clean when it comes to any of that. Um, but he was talking about NIL and and how, like, this, this is not college athletics. Like, this is, you know, your borderline professional athletes at the collegiate level now. Like, you're being paid professionally. These guys come in and they want to know, how much money am I going to make in college and it's not necessarily about the the college experience anymore and about the education. And I mean, over the last 10 years, how many Michigan guys do you think are playing in the NFL right now? How many of those players are in the NFL? Maybe 10%. You know what I mean? It's not like a lot of those guys get there. And so, yeah, I, I just feel like I was fully on board with players wanting to make some sort of money off of their name, image, and likeness. But it feels they like... Should which they should, right? Like the, like the jersey behind you, that Jabril Peppers jersey. Like if those were being sold in store, Jabril Peppers should have gotten a cut on some yeah. of that, right? You talk about guys like Johnny Manziel, uh, Shoelace, you know, Denard Robinson, like would have probably made millions in NIL dollars had he been able to do so. Um, but it feels like what we're doing now with the collectives in place isn't quite NIL. It's more so like, how are we going to pay to get this recruit in, in, in our building? How are we going to pay to get this guy out of the transfer portal to come to our program? And I'm not, I'm not really sure that it, it, 
it is a name image likeness sort of thing. It's almost like you're, you're able to just sort of pay for players now and use NIL as sort of an excuse for, for what you're doing. Do you get that sense? Yeah. My problem is the NCAA chooses their, they, they pick and choose their battles. Like, did you see, I think it was today where teams can't do photo shoots or something like that with, with the recruits. And then you can't do the photo shoots. You can't, you can't put out cookies in the hotel. You can't decorate the hotel room anymore. Like, so, so we can't do that, but we're going to turn our backs when a coach or whoever gives a kid a fat stack of bills like that. That's not legal. Like you can't do There's a difference between NIL and there's a difference between physically giving them cash to come play for you. Like it's two completely different things and that's not, it's not legal, but we don't do anything about it. You know, like there's, I mean, there's, unless you're, unless you're, well, I'm not going to do the hamburger thing. Cause I think that that got blown out of proportion a little bit. You know, Michigan fans wanted to, uh, to hop on that with Jim Harbaugh and, you know, the apparent recruiting violations, uh, that he committed during 2020, but it is sort of weird the way that you watch the NCAA selectively go after, you know, what it is they want to punish while there's clearly other things going on. I mean, I saw a recruit just flip. I can't remember what it was. He was a five-star recruit. I think he ended up going to Miami and, and his recruitment photo literally was him like posing on the beach with bags of that. cash next to him. Like we're, we're not even trying to hide it anymore. And so, yes, I, I understand uh, Dwayne Jones from the Facebook page. Players have been getting paid, you know, well before NIL. I get that. There, there's always been a bag man in place. If you listen to what Johnny Manziel said recently in his sit-down interview with Shannon Sharp, you know, he talked about that and he named names. He was explicit about it. He said, if you were a team competing for a national championship, whether you're in Alabama, an LSU, a Clemson, he's like, everywhere they have a bag man. We already know that. Anybody who pays attention to college athletics already knows that. But this this new age of, of NIL, it just, to me, it feels unsustainable with the way it is. When you combine that now with the transfer portal, which wasn't a thing, you know, we know that players were getting paid, but you couldn't just enter the transfer portal. You couldn't go play for five or six different programs and let people buy you out of the portal. So to me, like the model seems unsustainable. I'm just not sure that college athletics and in particularly college football, college basketball can continue on this trajectory without having some serious, like come to the table and figure this out because it does. It felt like the wild, wild West when it all came out and it was all introduced. And even now, like today, it still feels that way where if you're slightly unhappy or you're a college athlete and you think you can get money somewhere else and somebody's sending you a DM with some sort of opportunity and there's these backdoor deals going on, like it college athletics feels a lot different now than it did a decade ago. And I'm not going to get too far off the path, but I, I also think, you know, when people talk about Juwan Howard and I, I put this out to you as, as maybe a potential topic. And I know Juwan Howard is like public enemy number one right now with a lot of Michigan fans because the basketball team who, by the way, plays tonight, you plan on watching that game against oh, uh, dude, Northwestern tonight, every single second. Of it. I just can't wait. TV. I can't wait, man. I'm going to get my like popcorn and just, I feel like they are becoming must-see TV in, in much the same way that the Pistons were must-see TV for a lot of this year. Like You just wanted to tune in to see, like, is it going to fall apart again? Is, is it going to look like a shit show? I feel like that's why a lot of people are watching Michigan basketball now. But I feel like Juwan Howard, um, I, I feel for a guy like that because he's lost out on a lot of guys who couldn't pass admissions. 
He lost out on Hunter Dickinson because of NIL reasons. I mean, we know that's the reason why Hunter Dickinson decided to uh, to transfer. And so when you factor in all Caleb these love, things, he Caleb was in, love, he was committed. Like he was right. coming to Michigan and but that was more, I guess that was more academic. Situation. More academic. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like at what point do you start to realize these guys you're recruiting aren't going to go through admissions, but, but that's another topic. But at, at the end of the day, like I see a lot of people saying like, can we get John Beeline back? Can we get Beeline never had to deal with any of this shit. He didn't have to deal with NIL. He didn't have to deal with the transfer portal. And I don't think Michigan basketball has nearly as much support in, in terms of NIL as the football program has. And that's probably, you know, we, we know that the football program is the the money maker there. We know who's generating the revenue in the athletics department um, at the University of Michigan. Again, Ward Manuel, yeah, another guy who people aren't a big fan of. But you know, I know that a lot of people they they want to find somebody to blame. But I think at the end of the day, like I don't want Michigan to become one of those universities, you know, one of those athletic departments that starts paying for recruits because I think we've seen over the course of time, like, yeah, you can land a bunch of five stars, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee success. And it probably means that a lot of those guys are going to be looking elsewhere after, you know, they, they get to whatever destination it is and they find out, okay, I'm not making the money I thought I was going to make, or things aren't going the way I thought they were going to go. So I don't think that being able to buy your roster um, is necessarily uh, an indicator of future success, but it, you know, it's part of the basketball team. It's part of the football team. It's part of what we've seen with Ohio State this offseason. They've obviously, you know, they've had an incredible offseason to the point where it almost feels like they won the national championship and not Michigan. Like everybody's high on Ohio State. Ohio State's getting this guy and Ohio State's getting this guy. And a lot of it is due to what you're able to do from an NIL standpoint. So I, I think we'll end with this. Like NIL-wise, Trent, do, do you think Michigan is doing it the right way? Do you think they're approaching this thing the right way? Or do you think that, you know, with a guy like Keon Sab, or when you look at the recruiting rankings in football, how a national championship winning team can possibly be 15th or 16th in the rankings? Like, do you think Michigan's getting it right or wrong when it comes to NIL? Well, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about doing it right morally, I think they are doing it right. I think they're doing exactly what NIL is supposed to do. You get them on campus and then you get them, you get them money based on, based on their name. Now, are they doing what every other team is doing? Absolutely not. And if you want to, if you want to go out there and get those big names and big recruits, you're going to have to do something different uh, until the NCAA cracks down on all of it. Then I'm Michigan's got to do what every, everyone else does, or it's going to be the same thing every single year. They're going to be probably around, 15 to 20 in the recruiting rankings and they're going to have to, to they're going to have to develop their players like they've been doing. You know, you bring in your three and four star kids, coach them up, get them ready for a couple in a couple years and and go to work. But yeah, I mean, morally I think Michigan is doing the right thing, but again, they're not doing what Texas A&M did a couple years ago. They're not doing what Ohio State's doing. Clearly these teams are putting out money to get these guys to come play for them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't, you might be right. Morally, they, they might be taking the, uh, the right path. You know, I know that, um, you know, champion circle and, and, and valiant to a certain extent, I think that that's been their big thing is, you know, when, once you get here and you earn your way and you, and you prove your worth, like that's how you can really make money. And they've been able to come through with some big NIL deals for guys like, you know, in particular, JJ McCarthy. I know that he's a highly marketable kid, obviously, but it's weird because 
I go back and forth on whether or not I want Michigan to become that, that type of athletic department, that, that, um, that type of program that is bringing in top. Like if we were seeing Michigan signing five stars left and right and building these super teams, like we would all be excited about it. We wouldn't give a shit really about how it's being done. But at the end of the day, uh, we have seen examples, Texas A&M being one where you can buy as many great players as you want. It doesn't necessarily equate to success. And I think that because of what's happened with Michigan, particularly the football team, they haven't had to go out and really pay for players. They haven't had to go out and buy top-level talent. They've been able to develop guys and still win at a high level. I don't think overall you're going to see Michigan make any significant changes. Now, I know they made a couple changes to their NIL uh, approach during this offseason. They brought on a couple other um, entities that are supposedly going to help along with that in conjunction with the champion circle. So we'll see what that means. But yeah, at the end of the day, I, I just don't think Michigan is going to play ball the way that some of these other programs are going to do it until they start to see on the football field that they're falling behind. And, and as of now, they're defending national champions, three-time Big Ten champions, and uh, you know, in, until that changes, I, I just don't see Michigan changing their approach. And I don't know how Sharon Moore is going to operate. Obviously, we know how Jim Harbaugh operated, and Sharon Moore basically idolizes Jim Harbaugh, so I don't think that he's going to steer away from what, what Harbaugh was doing with his football program, which includes NIL. I, I just don't think that we're going to see anything differently than what, what they're doing now. They're going to, they're going to continue to get the players that are on the, that's on the team. Now they're going to get them good money, but they're, and they're doing it. They're doing it the way NIL is, is supposed to be. But again, what, like how every other team is doing it, Michigan is not doing it that way. Yeah. I, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we're talking about uh, morality and loyalty in college sports is, is what we're discussing here today. And yeah, I think that um, I think that in today's college uh, college sports like that, that is a thing of the past. Like to me, it feels more like a business now than than ever before. And guys are making business decisions. Coaches are making business decisions. Players are making business decisions. And, and that's what college athletics is now, especially college football. I mean, that's what all of this is about. This is what realignment is about. That's what playoff expansion is about. This is all about money in TV deals and in a way to generate more revenue. And then how is it going to get filtered to the players? And so I certainly think that, um, yeah, the, the days of that final week in November, having that feeling like I'm a little bit bummed that I feel like that's going away to a certain extent, because if you know, Hey, we're in the playoff regardless of what happens. Like it takes a little bit of the shine away from, you know, what that game means. And it doesn't mean that the players aren't going to get up for it. I don't think it means that you're going to have guys sitting out, you know, perhaps not even playing in the game because they want to save themselves for the playoffs. But shit, you see you see stuff like that in the pros, right? Where guys are going to rest their body in a meaningless game because they know they've got the playoff coming up. You know, we could be in a situation in college athletics where we're headed down that path and I don't know, man. It kind of bums me out a little bit, but I think we'll, you know, that that's all I got. I'll just leave it there. Is there anything else you want to add to the conversation? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's the new age of college football and either we got to embrace it or, or just not watch it. And I don't see that being an option. So I think you just gotta, you gotta embrace it. It's, it's, it is what it is, man. It is what it is. Embrace the change. Embrace the new college football. I know I'll be watching 12 team playoff. You better believe we'll be watching every game of that. We'll be covering it, Trent. We'll be there. 
you know we're going to enjoy it. We'll find a way to enjoy it. Look at that. Under under an hour tonight. Uh, back at it, back in the saddle, knocking the rust off a little bit. Appreciate everybody who joined into the show. Uh, appreciate the conversation. Trent, I appreciate you for carrying the site for a week. Looking forward to get back to work again. And uh, we will see you hopefully next Thursday. Next yeah, same time, 7 p.m.